This week on the Barag World Show, we look at the challenges of working with and for large institutions. Welcome to BoagWorld.com, the podcast for those involved in designing, developing and running websites on a daily basis. This show is brought to you by digital agency Headscape and this week's jargon, ethnographic studies. There you go, Marcus. Do you know what ethnographic studies are? Something to do with ethnicity. (laughs) Who knows? Who knows? You owe me a fiver. Why? Because you still said... The show the, for people that do websites. Oh, was I going to drop that bit? Yes. I don't remember offering to give you a fiver. No, it was a bet. I don't remember betting. Yes. It. No, I don't. Yes. I have no recollection. <laughs> Until you can play back the piece of audio in which I said it, I don't believe you. Okay. But anyway, you, do, you owe me it anyway. And yeah, yeah, you yeah. sounded almost a bit like the late and great David Frost at the start of that, which Did is I? a good thing. Yeah, That's a really absolutely. Good thing, I'm very who lives v- here. Very honoured. <laughs> who lives here? That wasn't him, was it? I thought that was Lloyd Grossman that did. Uh, he did through the voiceover, the but Frosty did the. Did he? Yeah, I don't yeah, remember yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, through the keyhole. I couldn't I, remember what it was called. That <laughs> was that's a blast from the past, isn't it? Yeah. Talking about blast from the past, I'm reading a great sci-fi book at the moment called um, uh, um, Player One, or no, it's not called. It's something something Player One, Ready Player One. From, you know, the old arcade games, Ready Player One. Yeah. Um, and it's set in 2045. And it's um, about um, a boy who basically has, has dis- is on a journey to discover an Easter egg within this kind of virtual world that everybody hangs out in this thing called Oasis, which is all these virtual worlds that you hang out with. And the founder of Oasis, who was obviously a very rich man, when he died... Um, he he left in his will that um, he'd hidden an Easter egg in the game somewhere, and if you can find the Easter egg, then you win his entire fortune and the game. And um, but the whole thing um, is built around he, he leaves clues about it based on his own past, and he grew up in the the eighties, same oh, right. as me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's all packed with just 80 references, you know, and 80s arcade games and all the kinds of things that I used to play when I was a, when I was a lad and all the TV programs that were on. It's great. It's really cool. When I was at school, we had a, a Space Invaders machine that you stood up to, you know. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, like, you had one of those at school? Yeah, in the youth club. Wow. And we had uh, Defender. Remember Defender? Yeah. With the, with the hyperspace button in the middle? Yes. Cool. Fantastic. I have noticed, though, being... Obviously, I'm going to go to the boring subject of me being old again, but this is quite interesting, that I have read sci-fi books that are now in the past. 
Oh, yeah. yeah. So have I. <laughs> it's like, well, that didn't work out like you thought it would, did it? <laughs> and then sometimes it scaringly does. Yeah, yeah. Which is the other thing that's very <laughs> peculiar when it kind of... I, mean, I suppose, yeah, I mean, 1984, obviously, is one. But, but books that were written while I've been alive you know, set in 2012. Yeah. Or yeah. Like, you know. It's just fantasy, isn't it? <laughs> Which I read in 1988 or something. Talking of, of um, uh, 1984, I'll put a link in the show note to this because it's something you really have to see. I found this great picture, really, of, um, you know how they have those plaques outside of famous people's houses? You know, yeah, so so was born yeah. here, yeah. So it was the one outside Orson Welles' house saying, this is the birthplace of Orson Welles. And honestly, like three feet from the sign was a cctv camera <laughs> just great just such a great little picture that's i love fantastic. it so that's very that's very cool so yeah i collect photographs like that because they're just the kind of thing that you eventually end up using in some talk somewhere <laughs> yeah yes that is very good so i like that so how are you this week marcus are you jolly and happy uh, absolutely fine are you are you managing to get everything done for our launch of um headscape and bag world next week i'm Starting to do that tomorrow. Right. Today is finished. Try and get everything done that I need to do. Then I can have a couple of days of solid um, nagging you to write content. Nagging me? Now I've got to do all the Boag World <laughs> stuff. Apparently it's suddenly all fallen to me. So I'll be doing that the next couple of days. That, but that's already written, isn't it? So, yeah, but there's loads of stuff where they've ballsed up my beautiful design. They being Dan and Ed. They, really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. It hasn't... <laughs> kind of you know the images and work stuff so it's a bit of a tidy up and apparently i'm supposed to do that like pff, i'm in some way responsible for content on my own website i mean it's just disgraceful so by the time this podcast comes out there should be it should be on the new spangly site because we're aiming to go live on the 28th are we well, I've just made that up. <laughs> yeah. that's what dan told me but he might have just pulled that that number that out of his ass okay i'm kind of hoping that we're going li- to like thursday afternoon go well, it's all right, isn't it? You reckon? Let's just go for it. Okay. I, I'm kind of hoping that's going to happen. Yeah, that's all right with Headscape. I'm a bit more scared to do that with Boag World. And as the yeah, two well, are interlinked. Oh, yes, they do, don't they? Yes. Yeah, that's the one that people actually look at. <laughs> so it's going to be cool. So, yes, that's, that's the plan anyway. That's what I'm hearing. So by the time this podcast out, there'll be a shiny new site, mm. which is very minimalistic. Although we're trying to add more. We're, we're trying to add more imagery in at the moment, aren't we? On, are we? On the homepage, anyway. I'm just taking the imagery out of all the season pages. I can't be asked. That's my, my professional response Ed, to this. Ed made a point to me the other day, and obviously, you know, you kind of listen when Ed, Ed goes, I'm not sure about the design. It's like, oh, he must... He must he, he, it, I listen to Ed, basically. And he's basically he's saying... He, 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 he thinks that there's more impact on some of the deeper pages that are on the, home, on the homepage because of the imagery being used. So, ah, okay. I agree with that. So he's saying that we should use more imagery? No, just the homepage needs an, a banner image. If we're going to use banner images oh, deeper okay. in the site. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I haven't got that problem with um, uh, Headscape. No, Boag will, because I don't use imagery deeper in the site particularly. Mm. So, Other than body image, which is fine. Yeah, it's just to do with these, these banner images. Yeah. Anyway, no That's, one cares. No, Especially when they no can't go and see it. Oh, but they it, can go and see it. They can see it. Yeah, they yeah. can go and see it right now by going to boagworld.com forward slash season forward slash nine. Well, why don't they just go to Boagworld.com? Well, they could just go to Boagworld, but I'm just or saying that's the, well, that's the, that's the, the, <laughs> the, I've just meant that that's this yeah, kind of know, season's podcast, isn't it? Anyway, how are you, Paul? 
Oh, I'm joyous, actually. Joyous? I am really? joyous. <laughs> I'm really on form at the moment. And um, I, I, last week, going away, all this travelling just knackers me, right? Mm. You go away for, like, one day's workshop, and it takes me two days to recover from it, to be honest. Yeah, so we I, started off... Um, uh, a project last week and it is it's just that standing up and being responsible for a whole day just, yeah just does it's, me it's in. not it's not my natural state of being yeah, i'm the same so can't someone else run this so um so i got back and um and i was knackered from that but then then over the weekend i i i um decided i need to get my life in order so i started organizing myself with my my you know omni focus your ocd uh, program ocd program yeah and um, it really helped. And then on Monday, I started doing Pomodoro sprints again. Have I told you about Pomodoro sprints? Pomodoro sprints are great. What? It's brilliant. <laughs> My, see, now, you'll never guess this. It'll surprise you this. But I have quite a short attention span. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> so do I. I'm the same. Yeah. I think most of us are. I, yeah, I do I think as that's well. a normal state. So, and I, I have this real trouble... Like, A, I get distracted, which I think everybody does. But B, also, I have trouble getting going. Once I get going, I'm all right. Mm. So this, Blank page syndrome. Yeah. Mm. Um, and it's, well, it's, no, it's not really, I haven't got a problem starting creative projects. A lot of people with the blank page, they go, oh, you know, don't know mm. what to write for. I don't have that problem. I have the problem of, oh, can't be asked. <laughs> I haven't got the energy. I'm too tired. But when I get going, suddenly so I get got, into you've it. Got energy. So yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. So um, the, what the Pomodoro technique is. That's just lazy. Yeah. I am. <laughs> I am inherently lazy. If I had my way, I wouldn't do anything. I'm the same. I think. Well, absolutely the same. Exactly. I think the, we should make Chris do everything. I think that's a really good idea. <laughs> He loves it. He's, he's like, he loves work, doesn't he? He does. Work he's, every day of the week and, and he, all night. Exactly. And he <laughs> grins from ear to ear in happiness the entire time. Never, never a grumpy face when he's and at we work. we can just swan about. I think, I think that's what we're born to do, Marcus. Yes. Swan, Especially you. Swanning. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you've got a heritage of swanning around. Exactly. exactly. Yes, and I'm not doing enough of it. Exactly. So, um, Yes. Pomodoro technique. So, so it's a really, really simple technique to get you going. Basically, you have one of those, you know those um, uh, tomato timers? You know the things that yeah, yeah, you turn? Yeah. Or, uh, well, I have an electronic version, but that's where the name comes from because those are pomodoros. That's what those timers are called. Or I think tomatoes are called pomodoros in Italy okay. or whatever. Anyway, yeah. so all you do is you set it for 25 minutes and you say, for this 25 minutes, I'm not going to do anything other than the task in front of me mm-hmm. now looking at scott you know um uh, twitter facebook you got that automated reply from me because mm-hmm. i was in the middle of one of those and just just for 25 minutes <laughs> but the automated reply made me reply again i know it was an automated reply and, uh, <laughs> which completely undermined it and i had to mark you down as an interruption um but then you just work for those 25 minutes and then you you stop and you have a five-minute break, and then you move on to that. Now, the reason I like this is for a couple of reasons. One is you can look back at the day and go, well, I've done 11 or 12 Pomodoro sprints, half an hour each. That's six hours of solid, good, proper work. Which is which plenty. It's plenty. Yeah. So, um, so that's one really good thing about it, and it, it kind of motivates you to get going. But also, it's great if you lack motivation to start, because what you say to yourself um, and it works with me every time. My, my subconscious must be really thick to fall for this. But, you know, oh, I don't want to do anything. I want to sit in the garden and, yeah. you know, eat an ice cream. Um, and then I say to myself, right, you're allowed to do that 
if you do one Pomodoro sprint first. You can go and have a nap if you do mm-hmm. just one Pomodoro yeah, so I, sprint. I, I just have, yeah, it's rewards. That's yeah. mine. mine. I, I, you can't have a cup of tea but until you, you've done what? Yeah. or whatever. It's but do you know time. what? Yeah, well, with yeah. me, it's a time. It's, yeah. a, it's a 25, uh, and only 25 minutes, which sounds a tiny amount of time, doesn't mm. it? And then what happens is, 25 minutes in, I'm going, oh, the alarm's gone. Oh, I don't want to stop. Yeah, yeah. And so you end up carrying on. And before you know it, three, four hours have gone by. And you've kind of motivated. So it, it really works for me. That's how I wrote the book. You know, mm. I went away yeah, in the yeah. summer. So yeah. I did the whole thing in those 25-minute sprints. And it just really works for me. So I'll put a link in the show notes to the Promodoro Technique. But that is basically it. There's not much <laughs> yeah, else to yeah, it yeah. than that. I was going to say, yeah, you've, you've told everyone. I know I have, yes. Okay. So, should we move on and um, listen to our first interview? Yes. Let's well, not our know. first interview. Our only interview for this mm. week. We only do one a week. Mm. And this week we are interviewing... Who are we interviewing? I lost my Barton Tyner. Barton Tyner from the Indiana University. Yes. Which is really good. Um, because So this, this show is really all about how to get stuff done when you're working in or for large institutions. So obviously, Barton is working for a large institution. Our universities are pretty horrendously large. Mm. And then our second one, our featured project, is um, a project that was done for Colorado Springs, which is a government website. So I think between those two, we can really dig into large institutions. And of course, that's our thing, isn't it, at Headscape? We are a kind of large institution working company thing. Dealing things. with complexity stuff. Yes, complex projects and we're really good at articulating it as well we are which is always complexity good. things things think of politics yes and 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 and, and governance stop. stop talking paul okay should we just go into the interview then yes all right okay so joining myself and marcus today is barton tyner Hello, Barton. Did I get that right? You did. Yes. You looked at me like I got it wrong, and then that immediately knocked my confidence. <laughs> yes, because I'm skilled at that, Paul. Knocking my confidence. <laughs> no, you got it spot on. I know, and then you looked at me with this... this oh, no, you said that terribly Hello, wrong. Barton. Let, let the man speak. No, I'm not going to. This is my podcast. Hello, Barton. How are you? Good. How are you? Very well. Very well. You can tell somewhat grumpy. End of the day, kind of getting okay. a bit grumpy. Mm-hmm. It must be, what time is it for you? It is lunchtime, so a little hungry here. Ah, okay. do it quickly. <laughs> All right, get it over with quickly. We don't want to get in the way of the man's lunch. <laughs> so, Barton, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where is it you work? What is it you do? Uh, yeah, I'm the web manager. I work in the uh, marketing and creative services unit at Indiana University, Purdue University, Fort Wayne. We're in the northeast region of Indiana here in the United States. Okay. Now, that's really interesting for, from our point of view because we do a lot of work in the higher education sector over here in the UK. Mm. Have we done anything in the higher education no, in the US? We've talked about it a lot. We've <laughs> talked to people who work within um, who work within the HE sector in the US. I remember you, I think you might have even spoken at a South by I, Southwest. Not at a South, oh, I did at a South by Southwest and I also talked at something called um, EDUI. Does that ring a bell to you, Barton? Is that a conference you've heard of? You've yes, heard? I have heard of that conference. Yeah. So I spoke at that one year, but we've not actually actively worked with any American clients. So I'm quite interested. Well, we've got American clients, not any American clients in the higher education sector. So the long and the short of that is I'm quite interested to find out 
how the higher education sector works in the US in terms of the web. So this could be an interesting one. So how long have you been there? Uh, I've been here approximately 15 and a half years. Oh, wow. wow. Ages. Yeah, that's, that's longer than we've been at Headscape. Long, I know. Oh, wow. Probably not longer than we've known each other. Unfortunately yeah, I started, not. I started off as a half-time webmaster and communications specialist. So I wrote news releases half the time and, and did that kind of work. Sure. And then I was supposed to do the website the other half of my time. But did that work out? It sounds like it didn't from the I was supposed to. <laughs> no, it needed to evolve. I mean, it needed to evolve even when they first hired me. We were behind the game so uh, with our web presence. So we finally, that position evolved into a full-time web position. And then over the years, it evolved into a management position for me. Okay, so, so you've got a team from the sounds of it. Well, yeah, a team. It depends on how you gauge that in terms of size, but yeah, we, we do have a team. So tell me about your team. How big is it? What kind of roles do you have, etc.? Well, there's me as the web manager. I do have a, a web developer, mm-hmm. and uh, we also have a, a social media specialist who's in our area. Sure. Um, and then in addition to that, we hire students. So right now we have two students who work on the website, and then we have um, one or two who do uh, uh, two students who are doing social media as well. Okay, so that's uh, if you count the students, which of course we do. Yes, we do. Yes. <laughs> In my experience, when I um, when I was uh, I, I took a year out and worked for IBM as a student, and they got their money's worth out of me. Can students you, can you remember that, good. Paul? Oh, shut up! <laughs> a long time ago, before the internet. That was, well, not before the internet, before the web. <laughs> So um, how does that work out for you, having um, students? Do you find them a useful resource? Do they take a lot of training up? Sorry, this is completely off script now, but uh, you, you'll get used to that. <laughs> well, no, I think, that's, I think they're perfectly – I mean, they really add a lot to the, to the team. Um, they help – they keep us youthful, first of all, which yeah. we need to be in this field. <laughs> yep. um, but, uh, you know, they're indispensable. We, we wouldn't make it without them. They help us do not just the grunt work. We don't give them all grunt work, but we do give them – them you know lead projects they really get to do a lot of you know like like i have one um student who works right in with the design and builds out websites for us and microsites so um, we really we really rely on them we couldn't we couldn't do all the work that we that we do without them that's really good I, i imagine especially from the social media side of things it must be having students talking to students must be incredibly useful yeah, I think it is, definitely. Um, they certainly can speak in the voice of students since it is a peer-to-peer communication channel. Yeah, and also then there's the advantage as well that that students tend to be um, have the time to really get up to speed and learn the latest techniques if they're you know if they're into the web world and you know web design and that kind of stuff they they tend to be you know it, up on those kinds of latest developments so that can be quite good as well I'm guessing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay, that's that's really quite interesting. So, so you've kind of grown with the website over the last fifteen years. So, over that whole time, you've been working on the website. Yes, yes, I have. Okay, so over that time, then, what's been the biggest challenge? What's what have you found most challenging about your role? I think we always feel like, and 
not just feel, but know that we're behind, it seems. We're definitely, as a public institution and a, as a large institution, it's just hard for us to keep up with the disruption of technology. Mm. So I think that that is our biggest challenge, is like what you, in your book, you talk about the need to build a digital culture, and that's something I think we struggle. That's our biggest challenge, I feel. Barton, you are now my favorite interview <laughs> <laughs> the first one that's brought up See, the book. He's got one note written on his notepad. Make sure you mention the book. Yeah. <laughs> so he's now going to be it's going to be the starring interview that we yeah. do. You know, Paul said that we don't know when it will go out. This will be the first one. Now. <laughs> we certainly yeah. make this the first one now, aren't we? Just because you mentioned the book. Thank you very much. That's very kind of you. It's quite. Can I just want to just want to, want to throw that in there? You're saying that the. It, it's hard. This is this is something that is exactly the same for the UK institutions who are similar to you. We, we, we've, we've been speaking to other other guys who work in universities over here. Um, I'm thinking Mike McConnell, Mike McConnell from Aberdeen. That's a you know a large ancient institution over here, and yeah. we started working with them in 2008. And he's still talking about the things that he was talking about then that they need to do. Yeah. So that was six years ago and they're still trying to kind of shove stuff through and get things done so you know it they're 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 tough places to work but there's a lot to do so it's kind of exciting as well as being frustrating exactly so as i was reading through your book and i i have to admit i didn't read all of it yet i'm still working through it but i have i have skimmed through uh the majority of it and i find it equally Oh, uh, sobering as well as inspiring because it, it just mm. highlights what we need to do and those are opportunities that we can seize. But at the same time, it's, it is very sobering. Um, I can sort of vacillate between optimism and despair <laughs> very easily. <laughs> do you think, I mean, what causes the problem, do you think, within an institution like yours? What's, what holds you back? Is it... Is it the size of the organization? Is it inertia? What, what is it? Well, I don't know if it's size, because I think as an institution, we're like, as far as universities go, I think we're right down the middle. We're kind of Goldilocks. Mm-hmm. I think we're not too big and we're not too small. We are sort of in a, a stage of transition right now, big time. We've had major changes in, in our senior management, and nearly every important, you know, uh, major directorship has changed roles and people in, in the last couple of years. Plus, we've witnessed a lot of budget cuts, so they've been hurting us, and we felt it. Um, mm. But So that's part of the mix. Um, but I think, you know, some of the, the, the challenges that we face, we're still like a lot of public institutions like this size. We do have silos, so it is hard to break down walls between areas sometimes. Um, I just, and I also think prior, prioritizing the work is really, we just have so much, and it's a challenge to um, be able to figure out what we need to do. Even if we get direction from management, it's still, there's still just an overwhelming amount of, of tasks on our, on our list or projects on our list. I do think that's something that a lot of universities struggle with is this being pulled in multiple directions. You know, they've got very diverse sets of audiences that they're trying to reach um, in terms of undergraduates, postgraduates, researchers, you know, other academics, you know, all of these different groups. And on top of which, they're, they're doing so many different things at the same time. They don't have like a single product, if that makes sense. So I think it can be quite challenging from that point of view is that is that your experience over there as well absolutely we're trying to do everything for everybody all the time 
Yeah. And it seems to be a, a sort of a va- set of values we adopt. And I think in this new economy, we're having, we're finding that we have to sharpen our, our tools a little bit and we are going to have to get more focus and, and um, really think about whether we can do it all, all the time um, and really get more focused. Is it, are you seeing a drop-off in the number of applicants that you're getting in the current economic environment? Are people choosing not to go to university because of the, the, the you know, economic reality? Absolutely, yeah. We yeah. have seen our numbers go down. Um, so that has, and, and there are a number of factors why that's happened, but definitely the economy is part of that. Um, and we felt it, you know, in terms of budget side, we definitely feel the, the impact of that. Isn't that interesting, mind that mm. the reaction to that as a problem that that they're then cutting back on the the very services that would it draw people in? Does that make sense? You know, because the website is a marketing tool and a promotional tool for the institution, you would think actually that was something they would invest more heavily in. I think there is an interest in doing that. I don't. I, I think we just need to. It, it's really a matter of us. Um, really sitting down and focusing on on our strategic objectives and yeah. really focus on that. I do think there's an interest in that, and I think, you know, this new economic climate that we're in is really forcing us to rethink things. So it's not that we're cutting back on services, although we've, we've done that, but at the same time we're we're trying to find new ways of, of, you know, doing more with less. Absolutely, being smarter about it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And it's been painful. It's not been an easy process, but I think it it sounds cliche to say so, but I mean it really is providing us opportunities to rethink how we how we do things. Absolutely, and I think a, a lot of certainly universities in the UK could really do with cutting back um, in in pure scale. You know, UK universities are massive online, you know, footprint. You know, they've got so many microsites and so many projects and so many web pages. I mean, we're talking about hundreds of thousands, some of the clients that we deal with. Mm. And and they're spreading themselves so thinly that that is, a, you know, it, you need to kind of cut back, simplify it and refocus. So I, I can completely see where you're coming from with that. Right, right. So the next question that I wanted to ask you um, really is is what the big lessons are that you've been learning. You know, you've been doing this for a long time now. Um, you've been working with this institution for a while. What are the, you know, if you could share a nugget of wisdom with the other people listening to this show, what would that nugget be? I think in the the tech and digital world, our first inclination is always when we're trying to solve problems is to find the tool. Mm-hmm. and. It really isn't about the tool. It's really about the people using the tool and how the people use the tool. Yeah. So I really I think there's a tendency to do that, and I think that's the the thing that I've seen again and again, where we tend to focus on the systems or the tools, and then we forget that it's really about people. And it's not just the people, you know, utilizing the systems or tools, but we also need to focus on what the end result's supposed to be, uh, not forget the user in the in the yeah. long run. Can't it just it just it's just human nature, but it does tend to happen. And so that's something that I've seen over the years. 
I think that's such a good thing. I mean, the the one that springs to mind is content management systems. You must have gone through this, you know, in your time um, where you are that, you know, there was a stage where everything was put online by the the in-house web team and then they became a bottleneck. So the answer was throw a piece of technology at it, throw a tool at it. People still see CMSs in that way. Yeah. So they they get this fancy CMS. It's going to cure everything. Yes. And, uh, and it does. It, it does yeah. cure one set of problems, but then creates another. Um, so then they get a different CMS, which is going to solve the problems, you know, provide better workflows and stuff. And actually, all they could really do with is setting some few simple guidelines that everybody works by. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Absolutely. Yes. And that's exactly what we've, we've seen. And, and I guess we kind of knew when we launched our content management system that it wasn't going to solve all our, our all our problems. But... You know, I always viewed it as a stepping stone, um, and we're still in that stage where it's um, a system that we're using. Probably, certainly not as strategically as we can, and I think that's really the next phase that we need to enter is really looking at how we use our content management system more strategically. Well, that that brings me on nicely to to the kind of what are you focusing on next kind of area. You know, what's your big, you've already said that you've got all these different projects on the go, all these different things you could be doing. You know, if you were the king of the world and could kind of decide (laughs) what you focus on next, I know there are other stakeholders are involved, but what would you focus on? Two things. If if I can focus on two things, they're certainly related. One would be to put in a digital strategy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the other would be to have a, a redesign that meets that strategy. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one, there are a lot of things we could do with our content management system and, and treat it as a much more robust platform than we're doing. Right now we're looking at it as sort of a tool that allows lots of users to put out unstructured content, mm. and unrelated content, and I think we could do a better job of providing a platform that has more tooling in it. Mm. Um, and more structured content, so they're not so our publishers aren't having to focus all the time on formatting content. Yeah, really just getting the content in the system, and then the system creates the relationships between the content that users want. Ultimately. Yeah. So that's one thing. But then, of course, we need to think more strategically. We just we need to really, I think, develop a content strategy and a digital plan so that we're um, thinking more. I mean, we. We, you know, we have a great content management system in place, and we've spent years getting that in, into into shape. But we now need to start focusing on doing it better. So mm. we, you know, the first phase of the project was about quantity, yeah. getting, <laughs> getting getting all these pages corralled and into the system, and now we need to figure out how to focus on quality. Yeah. So I mean, what's what's holding you back from that? Is it is it um, a time on your part? Is it getting the right outside partner or the budget for that or management or silos? What what prevents that from happening? I think it's all the things that you mentioned. Uh, <laughs> all of them, everything. Yes, yes. <laughs> I I think you know we're in a position where we can start tackling these things. I know senior management's very interested in in. Um, seeing the website sort of move to the next stage. And I've even heard a dean here uh, that she would like, if if the university got a million dollars, she'd want to see it go to the website. Oh, wow. I know, wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) That's what you need. (laughs) Maybe not quite a million dollars, but... Not a million, but we certainly certainly need to, to put more towards the website and really get the people around it. So I think, you know, it's all, I hate to, it sounds like a hedging, you know, I'm hedging on this answer, but it really is all of it. I think it's, 
really about getting focused and getting our priorities and aligning our resources to those priorities. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, that the list I gave, I fully expected you to say all of the above because that's that is the way it is within um, the higher education sector. That there are so many different um, uh, kind of roadblocks that you need to work around in order to get stuff done, and that's not. You know, I love working in the higher education sector. It's very, very satisfying when you do make progress and you, you know, you do get to see these things come to fruition. And they are big, complicated projects to work on, um, but they can be challenging as well. So I, I, you know, I can see both sides of it. So, um, God, this this next question. This is really bad timing because it looks sounds like a really leading question, right? Okay. So, so, um, <laughs> would you like to try as So, as somebody that provides, the, the next question I had on my list is, what you know? Do you work with outside contract? Oh, this sounds so low. We are asking this question to everyone. Honestly, to be fair. it's Honestly. just it's just the next. You can listen to the other shows and you will hear me ask the same question. Um, do you make use of outside contractors? And if so, what is it that you look for? The reason being is a lot of people that listen to this show are either freelancers or work, um, you know, in, as part of agencies. And, you know, these clients are always very mysterious creatures. And, we're, you know, we're interested in what motivates you to select one agency or over another or one freelancer over another. Okay. So. Well, we've, we've done that on a multiple you know, a variety of levels. We've hired okay. a nationally known marketing specialist in higher ed. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had her come in and uh, help set a strategic direction for us. Mm-hmm. Um, we've also we've outsourced some of the technological part of the our content management system to our vendor. So we certainly do that as well, and we're looking to probably engage with them again on on outsourcing the just the work and doing the development it's too much for my team to be able to take on Mm -hmm. so we certainly would would probably outsource a lot of that just the development side um we've done design work too where we've had some of that outsourced depending on the nature of it and i've even had freelance workers so it just depends on the nature of the project so we are open to doing it and in fact our senior management um i have heard from uh, one of our vice chancellors that that's what they want us to do to to move more quickly on things yeah um, and the way to do that would be to 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 do some outsourcing figure out what parts of the of a big project need to be outsourced so what will you look for in somebody that you take on to do that kind of work what are the the characteristics that you're you're after well I think the I know you talk about changing the digital culture or creating a digital culture. I think that that's much bigger than what the the, the digital team or the web team here can take on. Mm-hmm. It's got to be uh, across the board effort. And I don't know here what would be the best approach. I, I know you lay out some scenarios where you can hire a consultant, have them come in. Um, that's one option. Um, or hire a digital officer. Mm-hmm. Be another. I'm not sure what would work here. I, uh, I'd have to think about that, but I think we would be, I, I certainly would be open to bringing somebody in to help us address how we can shift the, the culture in terms of how we deliver digital for the campus. So it sounds like you're after much more than just implementers, you know, somebody who's going to come along and, and fulfill a brief that you're given. You're looking for somebody that can help you establish direction. We do. I think. I think we need that. I think that would be definitely helpful. We have a, a brand new vice chancellor who's overseeing 
the marketing area okay. as well as the our alumni. It's the it's the vice chancellor for advancement, and this person heads up alumni, the fundraising or development, and then the marketing side of the university. And so, I think she's got a lot of energy. She has a lot of you know a lot of ideas, and I think she's ready to to make some significant changes. And I think this would be something I'd like for her to consider. Mm. Um, but you know, but yes, at the same time. Um, we do need an implementer, so I, we'll be looking to our um, our content management vendor to help us implement some new um, design features within our content management system. Mm-hmm. But I think we need, you know, we really need to sort of get above the weeds and really get a higher level look and really something that will really help us address um, change in a real way, not you know, not have a, I've seen where we've brought in consultants in the past and, and we were all inspired by it, but, but, you know, the work kind of languishes afterwards because yeah. they're just real world issues. And we all, we're all so busy. I, I think having somebody on the outside can help us get focused, but I, same time, I'm also wondering how we would be able to keep the momentum going. Well, the only way is, is, you know, if, if a plan is created, then the plan has to be resourced as well. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, right. it's pointless. You know, right. it's it's an absolutely pointless exercise without following through in that way. And I, and you're right; that is often where it falls down. I mean, we've we've gone and put in um, oh, yeah. you know strategies together for for organisations before, and everybody's been nodding. All of senior management have <laughs> bought into it. They said, "Yes, this is what we should do." And then the moment we start talking about actual practicalities of who needs to do what and when it all starts going very mumbly into their hands and you know yeah. it, it, it isn't followed through so that that is a legitimate concern and it can be very frustrating as an outside supplier fighting against that as well you know that that ultimately we can't force a client to, to follow through and and that can be you know a difficult situation so yeah i, I totally understand your concerns about that right right Okay, I mean that that's absolutely brilliant. You got some um really great stuff there. It's it's really interesting to see that that wherever you are in the world, <laughs> yeah. we're all struggling with similar problems over these kinds of things. And absolutely. and um yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. And um, I'm sure Marcus will be in contact shortly, uh, <laughs> forcing our uh, services on him. <laughs> I will ban him from doing that. He's going to be very well behaved. Aren't you, Marcus? Absolutely. You're the bad one here. Am As I the you bad know, one? Always, yeah. Why am I the bad Just one? Just generally, you are. I'm the one that's written the inspiring book. Just remember that. <laughs> Barton, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for promoting the book. I love you dearly. (laughs) Much appreciated. And, uh, yeah, keep in touch. I'd like to see how things work out. So drop me an email every now and again. Definitely, I will do so. Excellent. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Have a good day. It was really nice of him to mention the book, wasn't it? Because, uh, you know... I haven't Someone's said a lot about to. it. Someone, yeah. Someone has to. And, and, you know, I don't like to push my, my own stuff and my own agenda onto people. You don't, people. actually. It's you true. Know, I'm, I'm, Shy and retiring. That's yeah, how I've always described exactly. you. Before. So it's really <clears> nice when I someone's... I haven't followed up on the interview, by the way. Have you not? No, because Slacker. it was, as I said, you're the one who's pushy. <laughs> <laughs> Me? Pushy? I don't know where people get that idea. I might give him a call at some point. Yeah. See how he's getting He on. seemed a really nice guy, yeah. actually. 
Uh, I think I, I really, I mean, it's so challenging working within large institutions like that and getting stuff done is, is never particularly easy. I think part, one of the biggest challenges I'm coming to the conclusion, the more I do this, is with middle management. Have I said this before? I feel like I've said this before. It's all management. No, no, I don't <laughs> think it is. I think it's middle management, right? Because if you talk to the executive, right, yeah, yeah. They, they don't get digital, fine, right? But they are very used to delegating. They're also very used to looking at the big picture. And they want it boiled down to just a few simple points, job done. I'll give you an example of this, right? So, well, let me follow through. Well, middle management, middle management are in a much more complicated position that they've got um, a very, a relatively narrow remit. So they're always looking at it from their particular perspective as, you know, head of IT or head of marketing or whatever else. Also, they, as I once beautifully put it, they get shit from the top and shit from the bottom. Yeah. That, you know, they've got huge pressure on them from above. You know, if they f- make a false step, if they do something wrong, then they're going to get in trouble. And they're under pressure from their staff to do things differently, which are totally contradictory things, you know. And, and in some ways, their, their best bet is to stay with the status quo because nobody ever gets told off for doing what you've already done, always done before. Mm-hmm. So something like digital comes along and they're in a really tricky position. And I've got a really good example of this. I met with a higher education institution once, and we sat in this meeting, um, and it, initially it was, it was um, just the web team, the bottom layer, if yeah, you like. Yeah. And we all agreed, and everything was great about what we should do, and we had this big vision of, of we needed to form a digital transformation team. Then a middle manager came in, right, who completely said, you'll never get this past senior management, they're not going to you know, go for it. It's not going to work. Um, you know, you'll get a bash. And he kept referring to they, whoever they were. We never really got to the bottom of who these other people were. Yeah. So when he left, I said, well, let's get in the next level up. Let's get someone in, see if we can, talk to him. Got someone in only for half an hour. And I made a single point, right? The single point I said is if we carry on doing things the way we do to completely revamp your entire website is going to take about seven years, right? That's what we worked out as a group. If we change and go to this new practice to, to, to deal with these, these key areas, it's going to take seven months. And that was it. He was sold. Job done. Mm. And, and I think often middle management worry about what the next level are going um, are, are to say. And often the next level are not as scary as everybody thinks they are. Yeah, this, is, this goes back to the fact that the reason why we're hired half the time is to persuade senior management that this is the right way to go. And often middle management too. I'm slightly more, I do agree with that, but I'm slightly more cynical. And I think that people in middle and senior roles within large large organizations are only concerned about their own asses and would, that's what i was trying so to much yeah prob- so many problems are caused because of that that uh, that's what i was trying to say in a politer way yeah. basically that i think middle management you know they're worried about their career prospects are worried about yeah. holding on Where to their power next? base how am i going to get to that point it's, it's internal politics yeah so yeah absolutely i think that's a big part of it <clears throat> i'll be interested but, to see what happens when we work with um with the US because we've got one now since that interview we've won our first US 
um, higher education client. And I'd be interested to see if there's any differences. So it'd be, it'd be a fun I process. It's very similar. I suspect. So people are people wherever they are, exactly. aren't they, really? Yeah, but I'm, the interesting point that came out of that interview for me, and it's something that we, because it doesn't affect us immediately, we tend to just kind of, we, I mean, we don't put as much effort into making sure the things we recommend happen. Because we were saying yeah. at the end, it's kind of like, well, if everyone goes nod, nod, yeah, 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 and then, well, we'll just kick this into the long grass in a month's time. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that is genuinely a problem. It relates to this idea of some people will be corralled. I can think of one, I'm not going to mention it, but where, where they've gone, yeah, 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 yeah. and then, then curveball is thrown a week later. Um, it's how to do that as an outside contractor when, when yeah. you're employed for a limited length of Backhanders, time. Backhanders, Paul. Money talks. Is that what we got yeah, to bribe yeah. people? We've got to bribe people. Okay, fair enough. That's that, that's <laughs> that problem sorted. Yeah, good. Okay, move good on. Result. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, actually, it's it's, it's interesting because I'm speaking at IWMW again this year, mm-hmm. um, which is the it's a big conference for higher education institutions. In Lee the and UK. I are going to. You are. Yeah, that'd be fun. It'd be fun to see. Well, I'm only there on a flying visit because I've got. You're a, staying for one night. Uh, yes, I oh, believe that's right. so. That's cool. Yeah. Um, but he asked me, the organiser asked me to write a blog post to go with it. I started writing this blog post and it turned into like two and a half thousand words. It got a bit uh-huh. carried away. Um, and I, I'm going to publish it on my own website to, to, tomorrow, which is last week in this recording. <laughs> Link in the show notes yeah. to that. And that, <clears throat> that really, the, it, it's supposed to be a kind of, I'm speaking on digital adaptation. So really, I, my initial reaction when he asked me to write a blog post is, well, I've written a whole book on yeah, this. Read the bloody book. Yeah. Um, but then the more I thought about it, there are unique characteristics to the higher education sector. Um, and then I kind of, I wrote the post and yeah, it was great. And then I started to come back around to the other angle and think, well, actually a lot of these things I've just written in here could be applied to any government website or any public sector website. Yeah. It's something about public sectory organizations that make life particularly difficult. For a start, they're terrible at focusing on anything. He, he um, yeah, Barton raised that, didn't he? Yeah. At one point in the interview, that you know they really are quite shocking. Anyway, should we move on talking yes, so about I'm, government and public jokes, sector? Yeah. Now we aren't going to jokes yet. We've got our featured project. We've got to have one. Right. <laughs> do you know what we're going to do? What? We are going to put a divider at this point in the show <laughs> so that you can look up your joke and then you can pay attention in the next bit. Do I so have to? insert music now. Okay, okay, I've got a joke now. It's probably well, you really can't t- poor. You can't tell it yet, mine. Yeah, I know. It's got to be saved to the end. I know, but I have one now to say, this, and it's not very good, and that's what? your fault. No, no, because you could have spent <laughs> no, as long as no, you want. it's your fault. It wasn't like you had to find it in the length of time the jingle that's went on I'm for. putting my hands over my head. Yeah, no, that doesn't work. You've got, got earphones on. on. I'm inside your head, <laughs> you Marcus. Are, you are. It's true. So, let's talk about feature projects. Yeah. Woo. This, this week... Um, our feature project is um, a design firm called Click Focus that um, did the Colorado Springs government website. I've got a feeling from the way he talks in, in his, um, uh, this is Jeremy who works for Click Focus, um, in, in his document that this was the first time he'd worked with the public sector organization. Oh. Um, so I feel your pain, Jeremy, if that was the case. It's always a little shock when you first do that. 
Um, but it's quite interesting. Um, if you check out, I'll put obviously a link in the show notes to the to the um, Colorado Springs gov website um and it's not bad actually for a government website it's it's pretty damn hot right bearing in mind most government websites are horrendous it's not responsive or anything fancy like that it's you know the design's good and solid but what makes this website work is the information architecture as you look around the information architecture of this website it's obvious it's easy you know uh, it's got clear navigation um it highlights as you click through so if you go i don't know you were interested in residential services you click through in residential services it highlights at the top of the page big bold the most common things Mm -hmm. the things that you're most likely to want so it's really it's really well thought through some of the content deeper down in the site could do with some some help um, because obviously, I mean, Jeremy and his team wouldn't have been responsible for writing all the content. But as information architecture goes, it, it's a really solid attempt because it's user focused. Mm. They started off instead of, you know, the old site was all organized around the different departments and different business silos and all the rest of it. While this site is just organized in an obvious way. You know, there's Explore and Play, which is a bit of a weird title, mm. that one. I, that's probably the weakest out of all more top level sections so um residential services business government transport public safety so if you want something from the city of colorado springs it's going to fit into one of those categories fairly obviously yeah you get further down and it says navigation and related links in nice big letters to say this is you know this is how you explore the rest of the it's side. just really it's not keen on the background image no i'm not particularly but it's not a very good one no, and it, it changes from section to section. Does it? Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Let's go elsewhere then. So it, it does move around sometimes. It, it, it's no, just it the information architecture shines on this yes, site, and that's why does. I wanted to highlight it really, because I know how hard it is to do that kind of thing for government and public bodies. They do want to. It's because every department wants to own their own little bit of the site. Mm. Um, and and Jeremy actually talks about this, um, you know, of, of the battle he had trying to, you know, persuade people that actually, um, you know, they wanted to be involved with a particular, you know, you persuade them away from wanting to be involved with a particular part of the site. Um, and they also did a lot of work, which I think is really, really sensible providing them with guidelines um, in terms of how to create and write good content for the web. They haven't followed those guidelines particularly well in some places. <laughs> Sometimes they have. Um, but, you know, they've really, they've really kind of done their best to, to give them everything that they need to make this site a success. And it is, it's pretty impressive because they're dealing with over 60 content providers. Oh, I found well, a different picture. Yeah, so you have to click that around That one's much better. Yeah, it does kind of vary. Um, so it's, the things that got me with this website is um, the great IA that's very much user-focused and focused on the tasks that users want to complete on the site and the fact that they, they didn't... It's easy for a design company to wash their hands of the content. Mm. The content's not our problem. But these guys didn't. They got pitched in with the content as well and have have helped to start shaping some content guidelines that they can work with. And I say good on you guys because I know how difficult it is working with government bodies sometimes. And you've done a pretty damn good job 
as far as this website is concerned. Obviously not as good as we will have done. Um, you know, Jer- you couldn't keep it going, could you? No. No, I couldn't. <laughs> I am. You're right. I'm more of a, a noxious salesperson than you are. That's well, not good, is it, really? Have we had Mike McConnell interviewed yet? I don't know. I can't remember. Yes. Um, no, not yet. Because uh, he has a nickname for you, doesn't he? Yes. Do you want I to tell, tell everyone what your nickname is? No, I don't. one of our clients? No. Shall I tell them? No. They don't need to know. Don't say it. <laughs> don't it say rhymes it. With, rhymes with bake foil. Oh, well, they're never working out for me. <laughs> That's fine. And not that I'm suggesting my, my listeners are thick. <laughs> yes, he calls me snake oil. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't think that is really justified. It's harsh, isn't it? It is but really harsh. funny. It is quite funny. I'll give you that. So, Mike McConnell, you're in trouble. Should we have him next week? Now, that'd be two higher educations in a row. We can't yeah. really do that. Okay. And also, he should be punished for calling me nasty names I think that's about it it this week that's all we wanted to cover on the show so Marcus here we go this better be damn good because you had as long as you wanted to find this joke this is from Jelma Borst who says I love the jokes you tell on the Boagwell podcast he's lying He's like there he's doing doing exactly the same as Barton did (laughs) he's sucking up Uh, especially those with a bad pun you know what's coming. Uh, yeah, go on. Um, okay, here we go. So, did you hear about the guy whose whole left side was cut off? No, go on. He's all right now. That's quite good. <laughs> I quite like that. Do you know, every time I think, well, you tell these jokes and immediately I think, I must tell my son. That's what I said last week, <laughs> yeah, wasn't yeah, yeah. And I was at home, right? Uh-huh. Finished the show... I literally walked up the stairs telling the joke. By the time I got in there, I'd forgotten what the joke was. It's like what we were talking about this morning, that we've reached that age now where we can't retain information. The only information I seem to be able to retain is boring-ass web stuff. Anything else doesn't fit in my head anymore. Two words. Two, not one. Two words for you. What's that? Smell map. Smell map? What? Knock, knock. Who's there? Smell map. Smell map who? Oh, yeah. And that was the joke. That was the, see, you remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, even when you gave me the punchline, I still <laughs> couldn't remember it. There we go. Right, I, I would give up. Right, so that is this week's show done. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. As always, it's a pleasure to be here face-to-face with it you, Marcus. Is. It is. To record the show in your lovely big earphone things. Well, it's nice to have them on, actually, because norm- when I have to do it with the phone, I have to take them off, and I can't keep an ear... An ear out. An ear out. Uh, levels going up and down. Because I've yeah. got a habit at home of just going way back over, leaning back on my chair like this. Yeah. And then coming back onto the mic like that. Yeah, which is true. Well, I always sound like too loud and, and annoying on the interviews. It's like I'm shouting directly into the mic or something. Well, maybe you are. I think it must record levels differently, right? Because mm. I use exactly the same mic on exactly the same settings in exactly the same application... When I record the audio booth, the recording of the po- uh, the um, blog posts I produce. Yet, when I record for the show, it always sounds louder. And I don't know why. I reckon re- it's because I'm recording over Skype. Not, you know, mm. the ones where we do interviews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I reckon that might be it. And it's really hard. I don't really know how it's coming out. It's kind no. of like, well, Skype just it's a little bit fuzzy. This must be really boring for people. Yeah, yeah. Should we stop now? Yeah, let's stop. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.